Welcome to Let's Talk Sustainability, the Mazar podcast series that explores the evolving sustainability landscape for business. In each episode, we hear from experts on a range of environmental, social, and governance issues as they share best practices for building solid sustainability strategies and identified varied and valuable opportunities for business. Today, we're here with Louis-Henri Devant, Manager in Charge of Sustainable Transformation Issues at Mazar. We're here together to decipher the main findings of the sixth IPCC report, which was recently published. Hello, Louis-Henri. Hello, and thank you very much for having me. The second part of the sixth IPCC report, which stands for Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, has just been published. It's really dense. It's uh, close to 4,000 pages long. And unfortunately, without surprises, it once again draws up an alarming report of the state of global climate change. So before going into more detail about the new findings highlighted in this report, perhaps our listeners need to know a little bit more about the context. What is the IPCC? Who are its members? What are its origins and what are its objectives? So the IPCC is an intergovernmental body, like you said, uh, created in 1988 under the umbrella of the United Nations. Um, more precisely, it derives from two institutions. First, the United Nations Environment Programme, the UNEP, and secondly, the World Meteorological Organization. So with that positioning, we see that first and foremost, uh, the IPCC has a scientific perspective and not a political one, for example. The official mission statement, we could say, of the IPCC is to assess in a clear and objective manner the scientific information needed to understand the risks associated with human-induced global warming, to identify the possible consequences of that change, and to consider possible adaptation and mitigation strategies. So the IPCC gathers mostly scientists, but also state representatives, and it's an organization whose work has become an authority, like a gold standard, we could say, on global warming and its effect over time. The IPCC works on the basis of assessment cycles, and each cycle ends with the publication of a, a very large assessment report, uh, which has several sub-reports in it. We, we'll come to that in a, in a minute. And uh, the end of one cycle allows for the opening of a new cycle. And in this case, uh, like you said, we are in the sixth assessment cycle, the findings of which are being published progressively. So can you explain what's the difference between this report and the report published in August of 2021? Why is this called a second part? Sure. So uh, like I said, each IPCC assessment cycle results in the publication of several sub-reports, we could say. So there are three main working groups inside the IPCC. The first working group works on the physical science basis of climate change. The second works on impacts of climate change, vulnerability of our societies and adaptation measures. And the third working group works on the mitigation strategies against to, to reduce, we could say, uh, climate change. And each working group publishes a report on its own specific topic. So last August, uh, August 2021, uh, was published the report of the first working group on the scientific basis of climate change. And today, we are here to discuss the report of the second working group on the impacts of climate change, vulnerability of our societies, 
and possible ways of adaptation. And by the way, the, the report on mitigation from the third working group will be published in April, so in just a few weeks, and it will be followed by a, an overall synthesis of this assessment cycle in September 2022. Let's go into more detail now. What to you are the key points that really stand out in this report? So first of all, I, I'd like to start with a figure. 3.3 to 3.6 billion people, according to the IPCC, nowadays live in areas that are highly vulnerable to climate change. So we are talking about half of the entire humanity. And very vulnerable for the IPCC means that major consequences for the way of life of those populations are to be expected. We are talking about water shortages, for example, uh, falling agricultural production, destruction of infrastructure, increase in, in infectious diseases. So these are all very tangible and powerful things. Secondly, it's important to know that global warming is already killing people today, and no one in the end will be spared. Of course, some regions will be more affected than others, but ultimately no one will be immune to it. Third, and that's the bright spot out of it, adaptation pathways do exist for the IPCC and they can have a real impact of our conditions. The IPCC report lists a number of macro levers that need to be activated in order to protect humanity from the effects of climate change. And those levers can include coastal protection, for example, sustainable agriculture, water management, infrastructure resilience, etc., etc. And finally, for the IPCC, adaptation must be transformational and not short-term, which means that the whole system must change based on long-term planning and not based on short-term reactions. Can we go into a little bit more detail? So according to this report, what will be the direct consequences of global warming on populations and ecosystems? So on this specific issue, there are some very good summary tables uh, available, notably on the internet, uh, based on the IPCC report, which can map the effect of change by region and by type of impact. So I really invite our listeners to go and have a look at them. What we can say is that overall, there are three main types of impact that are highlighted in the IPCC report. First, impacts on food production and water shortages. Secondly, impact on human health and well-being. So for example, uh, mental health or infectious diseases. And thirdly, impact on cities, infrastructures and the entire economy. Then in the report, these impacts are broken down by region. So what we can see, for example, is that island countries such as the Maldives or the Philippines and the Arctic region will most suffer from all these impacts combined. But just after those regions, we find North America, for example, we find Asia, we find Africa, with an upsurge in infectious diseases, heat waves, and a range of destruction to key economic sectors and infrastructure. And the same exercise is done with all the regions of the world. So what we see in the end is that no one will be safe. With uh, temperatures observed in uh, Canada of 50 degrees this summer, with increased flooding, with forest fires and storms around the globe, uh, some of the observations made by the APCC, we can see that they're already coming to fruition. 
Where are we in relation to the targets set by the Paris Agreement? As a reminder, this was adopted in 2015 to keep global temperature increases below 1.5 degrees Celsius, recognizing that this would significantly reduce the impacts of climate change. Indeed, the increase in global average temperatures is clearly the major issue that our world today faces and is the focus of the work of the IPCC. So an important point in this new IPCC report is um, still more evidence of the direct correlation between the number of additional degrees at the end of this century and the, the violence, we could say the magnitude of climate change impacts in terms, for example, of floods, drafts or cyclones. In this respect, it's clearly obvious that collectively uh, we are not there yet. The latest estimates from the Carbon Brief, which is an independent research body computing all the commitments from different countries, those estimates show that with the current commitments registered under the Paris Agreement, right, we are heading towards plus 2.7 degrees Celsius warming by the end of the century. And this is only if all the measures announced are actually implemented, which is absolutely far from being guaranteed. So that means we have not yet moved into transformational change. Everything still remains to be done from that point of view. But Louis-Henri, what does this mean? Is the situation irreversible? What room is there still to maneuver to change things? What roles can companies still play? So it's, a, it's an important question. Th thank you for it. Uh, it's, it's crucial to remember that there is still a lot of room for maneuver. And this is a central point of the report. And it's essential to remember this as not to give it up. So if I, if I may say so, we have a bathtub that is clearly overflowing, but we can still turn off the tap now before it's too late. When it comes to businesses, they own the production assets, they fuel the wheels of the economy, and obviously, as a consequence, uh, they are also largely responsible for greenhouse gas emissions. And therefore, they are on the front line of the transformations to come. The work that each company must do is basically the translation to the scale of their business of what the IPCC is doing at the level of humanity. So first, how are my business activities affected by climate change, both because they contribute to it and because they suffer from its effects? Secondly, how can I ensure that I reduce the contribution of my business activities to global warming and reduce the negative effects that climate change will have on them in return? So we have to keep in mind that it's always about this dual issue of adaptation to climate change versus mitigation of climate change. And typically, the questions for a company will be, what are my carbon emissions? Where are they located in my value chain? How can I reduce them? And more broadly, where are my vulnerabilities? And how can I prepare my activities for future transformation and upheavals? So once again, the central issue is not the anecdotal short-term reactions, but the sustainable transformation of companies' activities in order to adapt to major events and upheavals that are taking us into a world that is totally different from the one that we have known until now. The current geopolitical context raises questions of energy independence and accelerates the need to respond quickly to the issues surrounding our energy mix. What's your vision of this uh, critical energy issue? 
Yeah, so indeed, the impact of major trends and events such as a war or a pandemic is always very ambivalent and can be uh, contradictory. The situation that we today face with the Ukraine is somewhat similar to what we've seen uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic. So contradictory effects and we could say a lack of alignment between temporalities. So let me explain. On the one hand, we realize now the essential nature of energy dependence and beyond that of energy sobriety. And Europe, in particular, is now seeking to put itself in a better position to achieve it way faster than it was previously anticipated. But on the other hand, in the short term, we cannot do without our current dependencies. And we are already seeing now the emergence of social movements that are forcing governments to take immediate action in order to support the traditional patterns, we could say. For example, discounts on fuel prices. So, on the one hand, we aspire for the world of tomorrow, as we did with COVID-19. But on the other hand, the constraints of yesterday's world, which is, by many aspects, still today's world, restrain us from moving forward. So going back to the IPCC report, just to conclude on this, what is clear now it is that we have to be ambitious enough to move beyond short-term measures. It will be more difficult, clearly, but in the end, it is crucial. Thank you, uh, Louis-Henri, for these very valuable insights on uh, this topic. But what would be your final word then? Do you have a strong message that you'd like to relay to any of the business leaders listening to us today? So thank you for letting me have the word of uh, conclusion. I think my main message would be, and sorry for being a, a bit frightening, nobody is safe. No citizen, no government, no company will be. In one way or another, you will be affected and your business will suffer from global warming. So it's not a remote issue. It's not an issue that is far from the business like it was believed from many years. It is actually a core business issue. My second message would be, and it's a, a bit more positive, we could say, to govern is to foresee. And our auditors know that good business management takes trends into account and anticipates their effects in order to be better prepared. This is exactly what must be done. When a company will be up against the wall because the supply chain will be threatened, logistic flows will be stopped, or production facilities will be destroyed due to climatic events, it will be too late for transformation. It's, it will be game over. So climate change is not a long-term problem. It's an immediate one. And the sooner companies will start to address it, the better they will be prepared for the upheavals to come, which are already underway. Thank you so much, Louis-Henri Devant, for your very insightful analysis of this topic. Thank you very much for having me. And thanks also to our listeners for joining us today. Thank you for joining us on Let's Talk Sustainability. To keep up with the series, subscribe on your favorite podcast app or go to mazar.com. <laughs>